Today, Chris, Andy, and Heath are interviewing Omar and Elizabeth Williams. We'll hear a little bit about their life and also their experience at Youth with a Mission. Yes, that is the sound of Heath Dills, who has been living in a cave for God knows how long. Heath, where have you been? I've been at work with this new work schedule. It's See, when you come on and play the guitar for us, there's nothing except for maybe Omar's face, but podcast listeners can't see that. But besides that, you playing guitar on this podcast is probably one of my favorite things. Drops the panties for sure. Iconic. That's it's all it is. What do you want? I mean, the me undies are dropping right now. Oh, I love it. I, I love it. You wore the other day. <laughs> Omar, you 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 can't talk yet. Sorry, sorry. All right. No, we're we're actually. I'm I'm really excited because we are. We're usually talking to people that I don't really know personally, and technically, I don't know you guys personally. I've I've met you through the BC Club and all that sort of stuff. But we're always doing podcasts with people that are very external to me that I'm learning about a week before a podcast, and I've never even heard of them before. But we get to talk to you guys tonight or today, whenever the, the listener listens to this, about your experience with, with YWAM, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. And so Elizabeth, Omar, thank you guys for coming on the Fader A podcast, which you're hosts of. Yay. <laughs> welcome can, can i talk now uh, <laughs> you you definitely can talk now well thanks for having us thanks for having us andy uh, i just want to say uh i just want to say right off the bat seth thanks for having us on your podcast um appreciate yes, it this lot. is seth's podcast that's right <laughs> i love it i love it i'm i'm really stoked because uh well really i don't know much about ywam at all so that's why, and and to, and to be honest, this is an opportunity for me to get to know you guys more too. I feel so, yeah. and, and and especially it gives you gives me a deeper gives uh, the listener a deeper look at your marriage, and where you're at now. And I, I I feel like I feel like doing this is is almost an honor in a way, and uh, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. So, like, where do where do we even start? Are we are we going back to, to when you first uh, in what what do you enlisted in YWAM? Is that what they call it? <laughs> enlisted. Is there an uh, enlistment maybe, process? <laughs> Pretty much, there, I don't know. There is an application you fill out. Yeah, but I don't know that you're turned away. The only time I've ever heard somebody not be turned away is if they don't have the money or they don't get a visa. So. Oh wow! Oh, now is now when you're when you go to YWAM, do you get funded by people at like a local church or the church you go to, whatever, or do you actually pay out of pocket? It's both. It, it both and. Um, so YWAM stands for Youth with a Mission. In case listeners don't know, and it was designed as a training course or a train a group of young people to be trained in mission work but um a guy named lauren cunningham started it in the 60s after a vision that he had of 
youth telling people about Jesus and crashing on the shores of the nations like waves um, to tell people about Jesus. And so he set up a bunch of different training courses, had a bunch of people join him in training, and they came up with all these different programs, schools that you can go through. When we were in it, it was in 150 countries around the world. They had bases in 150 countries. And the base that Omar and I just happened to be at at the same time for our first program, the Discipleship Training School, or DTS, was Lakeside, Montana. And for, for me, my grandparents had saved up money from the time I was little for college education. And so I... Uh, I'm not sure if I disappointed them or not, but basically the money that they used for college, they had saved for me for college, I used for my YWAM training stuff. And were they, were they upset about that? I'm not sure because they had been missionaries themselves. And so it was like, ah, we wanted you to go to college, but you're being a missionary. So should we be mad at you? I don't know. They never said anything to me about it. So I think they were okay with it. Yeah, and and if, you know, you can always pray for more college money. You can just pray for it. Right. And it'll, you know, it'll just come. It's fine. (laughs) Is YWAM where you two met? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and we we can definitely talk about YWAM, but uh, for me, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Um, Master's Commission would be more of my story. Um, The the whole discipleship training program school thing, I spent... damn near two decades being involved in or or leading so that's i'm good with talking about that but yes uh ywam is where me and elizabeth officially met um that was our first year being elizabeth so that was that was fun she was always beth to everybody before that um but we never really got to know each other while we were there um it's a very it's a very small part of our story um but but it's uh, YOM or just the whole discipleship training schools are an intriguing phenomenon to me. Um, something I uh, once dedicated, well, literally dedicated my whole life to for, for two decades. So, can, can we put a timeline on that? Like, how long ago are we talking when this all started? 2001. April 2nd, 2001. <laughs> yep, was, yeah, it was DTS. And where were you guys in your lives that, like, led you? to why when what what was going on in your lives that brought you to that point oh who are you, who are you asking yeah yeah either elizabeth i had just finished high school um it was a little bit early i was homeschooled so i could finish up early i graduate i turned 18 on march 4th graduated sometime like march 15th or something and took off for montana on april 1st because school started on april 2nd and I was 21 years old at the time, dating a you young lady. Well, I guess yeah, turning 21 in December, so I would have been in 20. December. Yes, okay, yeah, correct. Wow, okay, thanks, babe. Um, <laughs> I've been I've been We're telling the story years apart for most of the year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I was 20 at the time. Um, dating a young lady who's, I don't know, 19, 18 years old, who had a two-year-old son or one-year-old turned to while we were there. Elizabeth's going to get the yeah. dates correct for me. He, he may have he had, been he had, wondering. He had, or, 
You had a birthday that, while we were there. Had anyway. a birthday while we were there. Either way, I was way preoccupied with um, all of that um, more than the school, honestly. Um, didn't really go there dating the girl. It was it was a very strange thing. Um, she kind of follow, followed me there, you could say. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, I didn't handle it well. And so my, my response was to start dating her. <laughs> um, so anyway, so... So I was, that's where I was at in life. So 20 years old, um, I wanted to do something for Jesus. I, there was somebody else in the church that I went to that had gone to a YWAM in Hawaii and it sounded intriguing. Um, my family has like a missionary, um, pastor background and, um, I had an uncle who encouraged me, um, pretty, um, heavily because I had a heart to want to travel. I just knew that like at that point in my life, I was basically just uh, smoking weed and listening to the Grateful Dead. You know, I just wanted to basically be a deadhead. And my family was like, well, it's like, if you want to travel, then why don't you go do YWAM? And so the one that I picked was in Montana and I was supposed to be able to go to Brazil on my- Because <laughs> you're I, thinking I, at least I can smoke weed in Montana. Well, well, not not you're thinking you're thinking 2001, man. There, you couldn't. It wasn't legal anywhere. But I mean, but the reason I picked Montana was because the outreach was to Brazil. That was the whole selling point to me because I always wanted to go to Brazil, and so and I happened to get on the team because it's a six month program. Three months you're in Montana or your base, and then the other three months you do an outreach. Well, my outreach, um, somebody didn't fill out their visa correctly. And we ended up in Northern Ireland instead of Brazil because you can get there without his visa. So, my team you went lost? to Thailand. Wow. So, did this person end up getting detached from your team? No, I don't. They didn't tell us. They didn't tell us who. They just said somebody didn't fill their visa out right. Like, you know, basically, like, that's what we were told. Like, so, we filled out all the paperwork and we were trying to care very careful about the wording and everything as we were trying to get into Brazil at that time. And then, uh, Couple weeks later or whatever, they were like, "Yeah, don't screw yeah, up." That, yeah, that's that's what they told us. I mean, I mean, I don't know what really happened, but I mean, it still was pretty awesome. Like Northern Ireland was gorgeous. Like it was amazing, probably better than I would expected it to be, but not where I thought I was going to end up when I signed up for. Month. But hey, I I met Elizabeth, and you know, four kids later, here we are. Amen. <laughs> it so- had to start somewhere. <laughs> So now if, if Montana or that first beginning part was so insignificant to your story, where does it start to get significant? Good question. Okay. So fast forward seven years. Wait, pause. Okay. <laughs> Remember, it was 2001 that we were meeting each other. So right. think about the social media such as it was that was popular. You had MySpace and you had Instant Messenger. That's right. Instant Messenger. We all exchanged our Instant Messenger email handles or whatever they were back then. And yeah. How, had, how many students were there? 40, 60 there students? 30, total? No, there were 32. Well, there were 32 at the beginning. There was 31 by the end or 30 by the thirty by the end because two dropped out. One got kicked out. One dropped out. Um, and then we all exchanged our email password or email, whatever it was. And so then seven years later, go one more. <laughs> Yeah. So seven years later, nobody really uses Messenger anymore, right? And like, I check it very sparingly. I don't know. I think over that seven year time period, I may have spoken to Elizabeth three times, 
that's being generous. I'm, my numbers, yeah. I've been exa- I've been exaggerating my numbers tonight, so <laughs> forgive me. Yeah, two or three times. I was engaged one. I was engaged to some dude at one point when he called, yeah. or messaged, or texted. I don't remember how he got a hold of me, but it's oh, always just saucy. It was always just like oh, not yeah. the right, not the right timing, and just like okay, hi, hi, bye, see you later type of thing. You know, like just catch up real briefly, um, and then because we never really had a real strong connection, I guess let's let, let's not skip over one of the stories of YWAM. Um, about, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> <laughs> All right, here, ladies the, and gentlemen, but, here's how you pick up a wife. <laughs> On a clear go. summer side. <laughs> so, so the very first, very first conversation that Elizabeth can remember having with me, um, or I can that we can re- recall, um, was in the breakfast line um, for the buffet one of the mornings. See, breakfast was optional. Like lunch and dinner, you pretty much had to be at because you had. And breakfast was optional unless you were on the team that had to cook. So. Um, it had to be one morning that I don't know what what had a wild hair in me that I decided that I was going to eat breakfast because normally I'd sleep in for as long as I possibly could. And I go there, I'm standing in line, and there's this attractive young lady in front of me, she, you know, turns around to say something. I don't, I'm not sure what. Um, but as soon, <laughs> as soon as she opens up her mouth... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I, I have, I have no filter now. But I mean, like at twenty years old, I had worse then. much, much less of a filter. <laughs> and I was like, it's like, damn, your breath stinks, or like, or what did I say exactly, babe? Do you remember? <laughs> I don't remember. Something along the lines of your breath stinks, your breath reeks, something like that. And the, I something was really horrified bad. because it was the one morning I had decided to go to breakfast without brushing my teeth before I went. And that was the last breakfast I ever went to. And you brush your teeth immediately when you wake up ever since, right? Not anymore. No, he already has me. So (laughs) that's right. That's right. (laughs) You're stuck. (laughs) So that that was my pickup line. You know, it worked real well. Um, But yeah. So anyway, we did. We did. Yeah. But we we were just from two completely different worlds. And at that point, you know, coming from like that, you know pseudo hippie grateful dead background thing for for her like that homeschool background it's just we just didn't we're just in completely different circles and maybe one other conversation um that we had briefly um about my father maybe and oh yeah at the end of outreach you come back to the base and you have like a debriefing week and a graduation at the end and he had maybe just heard from or some, was trying to plan a meeting with his biological father for the first time. And we had a conversation about it. And that both of us like halfway remember the conversation and remember walking, walking away going, oh, maybe, we, uh, maybe there's more to this person than meets the eye is kind of the impression we both got of each other because we didn't hang out with each other during the school really. But that was really it, and then we exchanged, exchanged, exchanged all, all of the information with everybody, and then seven years later, most of the people fell off, and she's on, I'm on, and we start talking just about ministry stuff. I mean, the place I was at in my life seven years after that point, the place she was at in her life, I don't think either one of us really were looking for or wanted anything to do with a relationship. Um, <laughs> I just... Um, you know, it was just being friendly, honestly, and just, hey, you know, how's it going? And, and what she was doing at the time was very interesting to me. She was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and um, still with the YWAM and, you know, doing music stuff down there, but also working with 
um, the First Nations people group or the Native Americans we down had there. We just made contact with some First Nations people near us, and it was we had been trying for years to reach out to them and see, is there anything um, we can help you with, or do you want to do any music together? And we finally found this couple, and so we had just gotten back from a trip from Arizona with these, with these guys, and then Omar, like, and, instantly. And then so... And then, so then the pro the program that I was in, in master's commission in Alaska, um, I guess had a pretty good reputation for our relations with the First Nations people group, and um, kind of just building relationship and going about it in a different way. And so, um, I was genuinely just wanting to, um, you know, maybe like partner with and help help her out and it was just something that was a real passion of mine at the time uh, just building building bridges and gaps of like you know um that people group so anyway so and then uh, phone number so that he could give it to his right uh, after he uh, told you about your crap breath <laughs> no. Seven years seven later later <laughs> oh. oh seven oh, years oh. later eh, no eh, in that eh, instant eh, message eh. Thing. Yeah, I couldn't smell her breath anymore at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it lingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, no, he got my phone number to give it to his leader. Yeah. And a couple weeks later, he called me. A couple, yeah. like a week later, he called me again. day later, he called me again. Then we were talking every day. Our relationship went pretty fast, realistically. I mean... When we were started, we started. We reconnected in March. We were dating by like, I don't know. I went to Brazil on a mission trip, and we started dating right after I got back. So I can't remember if that was May or June of that year. That was two thousand eight, and then we both went on mission trips uh, that summer. So he went down the Yukon River in Alaska and was ministering to the First Nations people along the river, and I went to China to play music, and then we came back. Met up in Kansas in August. Do you want to say anything about that part? You guys are like a movie. It, it really is. She's going pretty quick. I don't know. About about about, about Kansas? Yeah. Or about... Um, no, you keep going. You just keep going. Okay, so... I, I checked out a little bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's your story. It, you checked so, out of your own story? No, he checked out and we're, we're definitely talking. leaving that my part voice, in, by the way. My, my voice just puts him to sleep so it's all good no it's not that i really was trying to say something earlier and then i forgot what i was going to try to say and then you start talking then you ask me what i was going to say and i'm like i'm you're talking just keep going okay um august happened so in august we met up in kansas so at the time his grandma and one of my grandmas lived 20 minutes apart and so we worked it out to go see our grandmas and uh Ended up hanging out in person for the first time in seven years. Wow. And that's when he um, he asked me to marry marry him during that trip. Within the first day? I don't remember. And then uh, we got married in December. And we were pretty much apart that whole span of time, except for that week in August. Was and that week hard? Our wedding. Yes. That's got it. I mean... Thank to, God for to technology. Just, yeah. Are you guys Skyping and, and all that sort of stuff at, at that time? Is is, it, is there just endless Skype calls? Yep. Yeah, because it was all Skype yeah. all night. Yeah. Kind of awesome. <laughs> wow. I just, I, 
I don't know. I've I've only had one long distance relationship, so props to you guys. I mean, and Omar, the first day, dude, you, I love. I just love you. Like you are a total go getter, dude. But uh, that just proved it even further. <laughs> You're God. He is. He's Omar the God. So, ba- <laughs> basically. Um, that's the story that's it in a nutshell that's why i wanted you to tell it baby because i know that you would get all the way through it from start to finish without chasing rabbit shells and and um and insignificant um parts of the story which which is where i was i was still camped out back on one at the very beginning beginning, Uh, wait from from dts or back when we started talking back when we started talking yeah because like i mean it wasn't like i was really honestly wasn't interested in having a relationship with anybody at that point um, because it a, a lot of it was because of brainwashing and different things that was happening. Um, I say brainwashing, I don't know. Um, the purity culture was very strong um, in the school that I was in. And um, it, it was the third year that I was in the school and we had just got done with the whole purity teaching that my director at the time um, was famous for. And so um, it was the third year that I heard it and first year that I started believing it um, and was actually really excited about it and just telling Elizabeth all about it as we were talking and getting to know each other. Um, It really wasn't until the whole, I think we, I prayed for her. She was going to go to like a suicide prevention hotline or something like that. I remember the first time I actually kind of like started liking you. Like it was like, I like it. And yeah, and and you were in. So like I was able to be there for you and kind of like we shared some emotional stuff and I was able to pray over you. And I was like, yeah, this, you know, we might be able to make a pretty good team after all. And then um, we had some conversations. I think one of the, things that really stood out was the fact that she said she was really excited. She's, I just got a brand new house. I'm so excited. And I'm like, huh? Well, like, wow, she's got a lot of money. What's going on here? And then she, she shows me and it's like her suitcase. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So she likes to travel a lot too. You know, she's kind of got that whole, um, thing going for honestly, guys, when I met Elizabeth, <laughs> I, I, I so didn't trust myself and relationships that I had, like at least three people that I respected like in like religious circles to green light my relationship. So I didn't like sabotage my own life or something with like the, the, the women that I was um, attracted to at the time. So, yeah, well, it's not even that it's not even the women that I was attracted to. It's just that like, I just, I don't know. I was, I'm a lover, obviously, you know, I jump, jump head, head first into everything. Of me. I do too. That's part of why our story is the way it is because I've been engaged. I was engaged twice to two different guys before getting married to Omar. So I. Third time's the charm? I mean, I guess so. so <laughs> yeah. I, yes. I, but I think the meat of like kind of our story really lies in like, like all of, all of that. Um, the fact that like there were so many different things that happened that I considered signs or things that God was doing, his hand was on um, our lives, like bringing us together 
where we moved our wedding up, you know, three months sooner than it was going to be when we got married on my birthday um, because she had an opportunity to come to Alaska and do some work. And there was so many different like things that, that happened that just seemed like, um, you know, this is God. And so when the first few years of our marriage were rough and rocky, that was the thing that really, really kept us together more than anything was that still, that, that still that belief that, yeah, that, you know, we can't be wrong because God said, <laughs> you know, and, and so, I mean, there was probably years where we probably shouldn't have been together. Like it was pretty toxic for each other and for, you know, anybody that was around us, you know, but we were in ministry and we were. Um, I mean, burning the candle at both ends, you know, she was on stage as much as the pastor was. And I was running a school while, the, you know, the director was, you know, MIA half the time. So, um, that was, yeah, that was once we were in Alaska and married. So, so anyway, you, so what do you guys want to know? I guess. So that was, she gave us the fast, the, the fast forward version of how we got married. Um, I told you guys a little bit about the YWAM experience, but the can of worms is in, in, all in Alaska. What do you want to know? <laughs> and that's that's where Master's Commission happened. That's correct, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And were you and, married at this point? Well, I mean, that, so he was a student first for three years in North Pole, Alaska. We got married, and then we moved to Wasilla, Alaska, Palmer, Wasilla, Alaska. We worked in with a church from Wasilla, Alaska, after we were married. So Palmer, we were when we were in Palmer, we were with one ministry for drug and alcohol rehabilitation, and then we worked with Master's Commission in Wasilla. So and and, and we moved to Alaska, and we fast forwarded our wed- our wedding three months because she had a job opportunity with YWAM in Homer, Alaska. That's right. Which is which is why we got married on my birthday and went directly. Like a week later, a, a week, a week later, a week later, doing ministry with young people um, in Alaska, and never stopped for until we left Alaska, like uh, five years later. Yeah, so it was Homer for three months, and then Palmer for two and a half years, and Wasilla for two and a half years. So by the time we got to Wasilla, we'd been married almost three years, Ishley, is that right? And yeah, yeah it was. Charlotte, our second daughter, was just born, and the church had this Bible school program, Master's Commission. They needed staff. They had just had a huge turnover in their staff. Their director had left. There was other church staff that had left, and things were starting to go down, so the church was starting to lose momentum. And so they brought in a new director, and they brought in Omar and myself for staff. So that's... Wow. We walked into a shitstorm already before we even got to the shitstorm. So you, I, I didn't know that you had actually done. I just thought Omar went through master's commission. He did. He was the only one who was a student as master's commission. I was on staff. Understood. I was just on staff, and I never really considered myself part of the group. Um, there were a few times I was like, I do not fit, and I like the pastor was like, Why am I stupid? Like master's commissions where it's at and you didn't do master's commissions i was like oh i get it (laughs) now when you're a student of master's commission in in homer alaska what what is 
what are they teaching you? What is the the first step in a master's commission class? What are they? What is it all about? Go ahead, Omar. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the first step would be to abandon everything. Like, what does every cult teach you to do? Right. Don't talk, don't talk to your family for three months. Get off of Facebook. Get off of everything, and just focus on God and only listen to the teachings that are happening here and the things that we deem are necessary or good for your your spiritual being. Literally, the first whole year of your master's commission, um, you you sign an agreement. Basically, you're not going to pursue any relationships. So that's off the board right right away. And so you don't have to have that distraction of a boyfriend, girlfriend, or anything like that. And then, um, I mean, our school is pretty extreme. Like, that was the rule for the first year. But the second year students didn't do it either, obviously. Or, you know, like, you know, you you learned the first year that you didn't need it. So the second year, you know, you you don't pursue a relationship either. Um, But so... That, yeah, I mean, literally, that's abandon everything. That's that's what Master's Commission was all about. It was about servant leadership. And so it was Jesus came to serve, and so we're going to serve too. So we went to a lot of churches and stacked a lot of chairs. I mean, a day in the life of Master's Commission would be, uh, you know, wake up 5.30 in the morning, you know, get some breakfast in you, be at prayer at 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, in our master's commission, um, our, the prayer at six o'clock in the morning was a warfare prayer, which basically meant you walked around in circles in the sanctuary in the dark, um, praying out loud, um, you know, basically declaring how your day is going to be like declaring good things over the church, over the leadership, over the president, over, you know, basically however you can fill time for an hour. And the more profound and spiritual you can sound, you know, the, the I mean, I mean, you're, you're, you're just praying out with a bunch of other like young people, you know? So what is this like, I mean, how do you not get into that? I don't know. It's interesting. Especially my, early in the morning. It's, I have many issues with that. Cause I'm still, I mean, I did that shit for three years or more. I mean, I never was a morning person. Never. It didn't, it didn't like train me to like start waking up earlier it's just god god didn't make you a morning person did he <laughs> Man, that's, uh, that's a I was my, that was my suffering for christ i guess so so it's it's just so funny because i picture master's commission as in like some group with like cool jackets that have like mc on them oh and yeah just going out and just blessing people and it, it to me it sounds like like an elite group of christians just blessing for jesus but it sounds like they're just like hey can we help you no is it's that, it's, is that- it's it's definitely a definitely a spiritual pride like it's definitely we definitely have the coolest clothes we definitely have the coolest logos we definitely have the coolest um what are they called human videos and like you know and skits in, in fact, every year, once a year, and they had a conference where you can showcase like how, how cool your human videos are or how, how progressive and, and hip your Master's Commission is with its outreach ministries. So that's the biggest thing Master's Commission was about, was about outreach. It's the Master's Commission. Go and make disciples. You know, go and recreate, you know, the, you know Jesus' model of, you know, like discipling, you know, people. So that's, that, was, that was the now, whole idea. Would they come to you guys and say, 
hey, we've only won, you know, 12 souls for Christ this month, guys. You know, we're down 10 souls. What's going on? No, but if we went on an outreach, um, we had to come back and like tell the numbers. The numbers were huge, you know, because they want to know like where the money is being spent. So like, you know, if we go down the Yukon River for three weeks, we better come back and say how many, you know, young people converted to Christ or did rededications or this, that and the other, because you stand in front of the church, people who, who gave money to that and you and you, you know, tell them what they just paid for. You know, here's your return on investment. Yeah. Typical missionary stuff. Missionaries, all missionaries have to do it. Now, forgive me for saying this in regards to master's commission, but couldn't you just lie and say, hey, we got a hundred (laughs) today? Well, not, I mean, it's spiritual pride, right? So, I mean, sure. you, You get off on how how righteous you can be. I mean, or how, I mean, like you don't, yeah. And so, I mean, you can't get away. I mean, the group is not going to lie. I mean, individuals, if you can get away with it, yeah, but it's not, there's not going to be some, there was no conspiracy, um, you know, like to be able to like, not in our group, at least. I mean, could you do that? Yeah. Would it be a lot easier? Yeah. I guess if that's about the numbers, but you know, we just, it just frustrated us because I mean, there was a lot of young people that knew and that's the thing about master's commission is, you know, they help the church, but they hate the church. <laughs> like, like, and it's, they were better than the church. You know, the church is slowing us down. This is how this is supposed to be. We're supposed to be discipling people. I and mean, you guys are just sitting in pews doing nothing. You know, what are you even doing here? Oh, so, interesting. Wow. There was that kind of attitude prevalent there, huh? Yeah. Pretty wow. Much. So how, how, how far into it, do you see, like, how far into it until you see something that makes your soul not sit right? Was like, what was the first thing that you saw, maybe from a leader's uh, words or mm. attitude or whatever? What was that first, that first little tidbit that made you start second guessing? Was this the right decision? Uh. I, about yeah well i didn't feel like i felt like we were in the right place at the right time as far as staff like joining staff mm-hmm. i i definitely felt like we walked into a shit storm like you could tell you walked in and everybody was everybody was just shattered they were they were in the middle of their program and they just lost their director and their one of their other staff girls or did a- april stayed with us until the end of that year either way it was just a mess to begin with um but i felt the spiritual pride with our senior pastor right off the bat cuz he's like I don't know, Omar never saw it, but I always felt really out of the the club because I had not done a master's commission. I was only a y- only a Y-whammer. So I didn't really know what I was doing. Yes, you said that. Or like a lesser. <laughs> when you say that you walked into a shitstorm, and you mentioned some people leaving, what happened before you guys got there? What did you walk into? Basically, the senior pastor and the associate pastor, who was the master's Christian director, had differences of opinion on how to raise children, their own children. And so the associate pastor, who was the master's commission director, left. And the pastor was making some decisions in his preaching, too, that they didn't agree with as well. So nothing that we as bad Christians would think was terrible, but... 
when you're in a denomination that believes certain things and you preach, hey, maybe this isn't the only way to think about this. Um, some people get mad. It's shattering stuff. Shattering. <laughs> well, shattering. It's, it's, well, it's biblical. There's some scriptures that say that in the end times, you know, they're going to distort scripture and they're going to be false prophets and all of that, which can be used manipulatively within church culture. Shut other people down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Omar, as a student at... What do you think was that first thing, that first right away, for you? Uh, for me, it was right away. It was um, just the whole purity culture thing. I saw that from the from the very beginning. I'm like, what is this? Um, like, there were separate vans for guys and girls. Like when 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 church when church services would happen, like all the the youth and uh, of females would sit on one side of the church, and all the youth and their guys would sit on the other side of the church. Um, I mean, the the lines were very strict, very very. I mean, it was just it was just weird to me like for for where I came from. Like I just I didn't understand that like like most of my girl most of my girl most of my friends in high school you know were kind of like females and I was raised by women and so like I I had I didn't have a whole lot of um, real strong like guy friends when I was and so I think that's a good thing that happened in Alaska like a lot of that changed but. But it was definitely strange from from the beginning. I mean, there were that, there was a, other things, but that was the first thing. Yeah, because it it just seems like it it seems like if you've never experienced, uh, you know, taking a different van because you're you know it's a van full of dudes and you gotta you know, or sitting in church, <laughs> and you know they're afraid that you might touch each other. In church, it's like what? What are you actually afraid of? You, you question every thought. You you, you start yeah. to you start to think that everything that you do is sinful, and, and I, I mean it. It makes you like it, it. It makes you feel like a predator for everything, and that word was thrown around all the time. You know, like you know, like are you a protector or you're a predator? You know, like protectors act this way, predators act this way, you know? And so, and there was a whole list of, are you this or are you that? Are you a sucker fish or are you a king salmon? You know, these are like exact, I should show you, I could actually have the files. I can show you, like I've taught this, I've, God forgive me, I've taught this stuff to, uh, to other people. And, but like, I mean, that's just one of the things. Another thing that was weird from the beginning is that like three times a year, at least three times a year, we go through the John Brevere undercover series, um, which basically is just submit to your leadership, even if your leadership isn't godly. <laughs> isn't godly. Yeah. As long, as long, as long as they're not telling you to do something that is a sin, then, then you should still submit to them. Because I mean, didn't, that's what David did. David did that to Saul. No. <laughs> right, but King, King Saul is throwing spears. I mean, I mean, your pastor's just talking bad about you. Okay, he's just, he's just slandering your name. He's just taking stuff he knows and spreading it. I mean, this didn't happen to me. I'm just using that as an example. But he's not throwing spears at you. It could be worse. I mean, you're you're not David. Right, and and when they're when they're bringing up those people's names, if they get called on it, it's well, I'm just trying to keep them accountable. I'm just oh. trying to make sure that. 
you know, God's glory is being shown. I, I, I don't want them to be a bad witness. That, that, that's all. I just, you know, I'm concerned, really. I, I will say this uh, as we keep going, because uh, it is, I do want to be careful because there were some people that like, I really do and did like love. I haven't spoken to a lot of people in years and you know, like, and so some people, this may be like one of some of the first things that they hear. And I do want to say that I, I believe everybody that was involved, um, especially in when I was a student, you know, like whether it be my director then or the staff leader, stuff like that, like did the best they could and did everything that they believed that like was right for them at the time. Like um, they didn't know that they were messing people up or anything like that, or, you know, like screwing up heads or like they made, they didn't see the spiritual pride for what it was, you know, and that, and that, that was the other, and I'll give, so that'd be the third thing I would say that I saw as a red flag is how the community responded to, especially in Wasilla, um, our pastor and, and our church, um, like everybody in the community is like, Oh, that's the church that hurts people. And, and, and like, that's literally, that's, that was like, Oh, that's a church that like, basically like hurt, like <laughs> that's the word. I, I, don't even know, I don't even know any other way to, to say it, but oh. for, for listeners, Elizabeth is violently shaking her head <laughs> up and down. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah. And, wow. Yeah, I was, I was, I was a search- leader at that church for three years. And um, I tried to join a worship leader um, encouragement group. Like all the worship leaders of the Valley would get together like once a month or something. And basically they found out what church I was from. And I never heard when they were meeting or where after that. They were very concerned. Wow. So so nobody who's part of who was or maybe now is part of master's commission if it's still a thing they don't go to a church they don't attend a church or is that like church for them oh we had to be at the church every time the doors were open yeah and so we would be there every, every sunday would and we'd be there every wednesday we'd be there every prayer meeting like we'd be there to clean the church we'd be there for everything but Omar, you you had said that you you guys viewed people in church as not doing enough, right? So it, 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 it we just we just like yeah we just yeah we just looked down on them because they they just looked at church like as a fun they just like a community to come to they, mm. as church like they weren't spiritual enough they weren't in it twenty four seven hardcore at every meeting and stuff like that and that's the way we were made to feel like and we had we had like one baby, two babies, you know, young at the, you know, and so then Elizabeth's leading worship and they, they still wanted us at every meeting, every, every church service, you know, like sometimes I was like, I want to like, Elizabeth's going to be on, on stage. Like I have this baby. I'd rather just stay home and be with this baby. I'm going to go to church and be hanging out with a baby in the back of the church anyway. Like what, what's the point? What, what, what are we doing here? But it's like, but I had to be there. I had to be seeing that I was there. And I think that had a lot more to do with, our leadership's issues of like rejection and perception. And, you know, like if I wasn't there, then people could say, Oh, Omar, you know, doesn't like, you know, doesn't agree with, you know, Ed or whatever's going on. So, so with, with all that tension with, with the kids and just the busyness of, of really ministry work, right. That, that, that's typically some of the busiest, craziest lifestyles and draining lifestyles. I think that there is. So with all that, is is it the busyness that kind of led you to 
to get away from that? What was the catalyst of of, of <laughs> maybe? Oh, go ahead. Summer. No, yeah. Summer 2012 is when it all started cracking. Like that was the summer we went fishing. Started crack a lacking then, huh? I think Omar. What do you think? You're rubbing your eyes. Oh no! Just to answer uh, Andy's question, uh, yeah, I guess summer 27. What, what was the catalyst though? Like, I mean, I wouldn't say. Uh, I would say the catalyst for it all going down was when the board asked, or what's it called? The elders asked the board for help because the IRS was going to start seizing property because we were a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Like, I think that, I think that was the catalyst for things happening because that's when they stepped in and basically removed our senior pastor. And that was Um, February, March, 2013. Yeah. But what Elizabeth was speaking to, like, um, is true as well. I mean, go, go for it. I was, I was, I was just, I was actually going to write down uh, what that marker were to answer the question because I wasn't sure exactly where you're going. But I do agree that, like, um, for us, that was a very um, awakening experience. You're talking about the whole fishing trip? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, you can, you mean, if you want to tell that story, go ahead. But um, Just to say that there were other issues involved besides um, – the senior pastor disagreeing with the denominational viewpoints. Um, he was pretty. Um, he was pretty clear on his change of viewpoints because when you become a pastor at that denomination, you have to sign all kinds of papers and whatnot. But he started disagreeing, so it was that. But then there was other personal issues. I think Andy was hitting it on the head though with the pressures of all, like having to be there and the expectations and everything there were people involved and leaders involved that we all just started to crack in that fishing trip. Things happened that were not good. So then the elders, um, we had been losing congregants for so long. We were in debt hugely and we owed back taxes hugely. And so they went, the elders of the church went to the, the district. So the way the denomination is set up, you've got your pastors that are involved, that are the leaders of the church with elders that kind of advise them within the church. And then you got the district, which is statewide or region-wide to help you with um, advising. And so the elders went to the district and said, hey, we've got this huge debt. What do we do? So then they had to launch an investigation. And in the bylaws of the district, of the denomination, when a district goes in to investigate, the senior pastor has to be put on hiatus. And if their actions are found to be questionable, then they are they are removed, completely removed. And so that is what happened. And as a result of that, it was seen that our finances were completely in disarray. And our Bible school was attached to that. The Master's Commission was attached to the church financially. And we had nothing. We had, what, 30 students? And, like, three of them had paid for their school. Nobody else had paid anything. We were yeah, that was a whole that, that was a whole another issue wow. for some reason. Like when you were talking about the senior pastor um, not agreeing with you know assemblies of God doctrine anymore. The only reason that really mattered too was, and that's what I was thinking about. That was a good question, Andy. Like, what was the catalyst? Because looking back, there was I think like a bunch of different things just started happening all at the same time. Honestly. 
because um, Sarah Palin, uh, that was when she yeah. was running running for like vice president vice or whatever, yep. and she had gone to our church when she was a teenager. Um, it was her youth group, and then she had spoken actually at a master's commission graduation ceremony, and all that stuff was videotaped and could be found online. And so then our our pastor and our church and everything became like famous for things that were said behind the pulpit because because of Sarah Palin and like look at Sarah Palin's crazy church. So we were Sarah Palin's crazy church back back then and so that was also i think a catalyst for just the microscope being on like the people involved even more um which was just more outside pressure i think that just kind of like catapulted everything to fall apart when it was um you know the district coming in and then and you can definitely tell that story babe i i was not trying to tell you not to i was just saying i not going to uh, necessarily want. I don't know how much to say, guys, because basically the long and short of it, the school got shut down because the director had relapsed back into heroin. Um, and it he, started that July. Yes. Well, did it, is that when it started? Because he had... Yes, Gina. Uh, he was on medication for his... Um, Liver. I, he had his liver disease. But see, if you know oh, yeah. inside from if you know inside information, then that's I do, that, and that's, that's when it started. And, yeah. yeah. So that's. that's well, you know, I, usually it's affairs or alcohol, but uh, that's the first time I've heard heroin. Yeah, that's that was interesting. That was new. It was different. It really explained a lot when I found out at the end of it all because I was getting very weird, paranoid text messages at like two o'clock in the morning threatening me to try to take over the school when all I did was like have the students do things during the day because he didn't show up like for scheduled events. And so, um, and I just would be like, okay, well we're going to do this then today. And all the students would be like, yay, we had a great day. And then the news would get back. They had fun. And then he'd be like, you know, like, why are you trying to take over the student? I'm like, I wasn't, you know, so, it, and, and for me, my issues with rejection issues and trying to like please like the men in my life, you know, daddy issues, whatever it might have been. God, that was hell. Like I, re- like I literally didn't, didn't think it was him. I thought it was me. I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I, I can't, I can't do anything right. So now, now it got shut down while you were still living there, right? Yes. It got sh- yes, and they got the board. Am I saying that right? Is it the the yes. board or the the it district, the, whatever? I- it was the board. Who is the district? The district has a board of people. Um, and they shut us down. Um, as far as they were concerned, it was the financial side of things. But then when they found out the other stuff going on with our assistant director or with our school director and his relapse, um, that just confirmed it. And they just put the nail in the coffin and that was it. And they called Omar and I in after the fact. And <laughs> that conversation was really interesting because they're like, so... What are you guys going to do? We're like, well, we just lost our house because our house is part of the Bible school program. So we got to find somewhere to live. And that was our job. So we got to find somewhere to work. And I was pregnant with my third child. Um, So, yeah. And I don't think they knew that we actually lived on the campus because they were asking us, well, who else lives in this campus? 
And uh, so we're like, well, the assistant director and his wife and five kids and us and our 2.5 kids and several married couples and all the students and a couple of single guys who are on staff with us. And they were like, oh, we didn't know that. Like, yeah, it would have been helpful if you had known that before you shut us down. But it was good that we shut it down, I think, because financially we couldn't sustain us at all. Um, it was. I it, think. It, it almost sounds like you shut down the the black hole on Stranger Things too. It's, <laughs> it just seems like you just closed it all up, and it's like everyone's going to be. Like, yeah. It's going to be better now. Like it, we're all yeah. going to be better now. And, yeah. And after it after it closes down, how much longer are you staying in Alaska? Well, we ended up so it was closed when, babe, in May and. They allowed us to stay until our son was born in October. And we actually pushed it a month later and just said uh, we left just before Thanksgiving. We moved down here Thanksgiving 2013. Um, But the students had to be out within weeks of it being shut down. Um, And the other staff had to be out by the end of the summer. So we got really, we lucked out on that one (laughs) because I was pregnant. (laughs) That's right. You got kids. Your your priority. That's yep. right. Um, okay. Well, so then you you move straight to what? Straight to PA? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, we we had a conversation. We were trying to decide because when when everything first shut down, we were, we were sitting there thinking, well, do we want to do more ministry? Like that's what we got married to do was do ministry. So Omar went down to. Soldatna to talk to a pastor about starting their Bible school program and it just didn't it wasn't quite the right fit and then um, I got a job offer as a for a worship leader position in Texas and we looked at that and I was like shit you can make money doing this like gotta be kidding me and um, then that wasn't going to be a right fit though either and the more we thought about it the more we're like you know we are close with our grandparents like I was close with mine and he was he is close with his And our kids don't know their own grandparents, so let's move near them. So at the time, my grandparents had just moved in with my parents, and their house was standing open. My dad had bought the house off of Grandpa, and Dad's like, hey, look, if you need a place to stay, this house is standing open. If you want it, you can have it. And my grandparents were 10 years older than Omar's, so we figured rightly in the end that my grandparents would die first so we're like let's move there first and we'll stay there for two years and then we'll move to North Carolina um it's been five years but we're still making plans to move to North Carolina Uh, but my grandparents have both died in the last three years so um so it's um that's yes we moved back here to get real jobs and be real people and watch my grandparents die (laughs) so and now I, I assume that ministry, is ministry not a part of your lives at all? Or do you see ministry like in a different way now? Maybe not so... Uh... I, I have no desire to do ministry ever again. I don't know. I, I like the idea of helping people and giving people advice, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do that. Um, uh, but no, I don't know. Because we, we tried. So we made a pact. We we're like, we're never going to work for a church without being paid again ever because we weren't paid in this position in Alaska so we moved down here and we started we found a church and started going to it and they needed a worship pastor or so I like did an interim worship leading thing for a minute and it wasn't fun and ended up 
going to a church plant and trying there and it still wasn't fun and I lost all desire passion everything for it Omar told me he's like I don't want to do it I don't want to do ministry I want to hang out with the kids although he ended up being roped into the youth uh doing bible study or what was it babe sunday school for the youth um but we told the pastor we will not do this unless we are paid because we (laughs) just weren't and uh, after a few years of that um it's been like two years now i'm like i'm done i can't do the drama i can't do the politics anymore i want to play with people that i want to play with (laughs) so i mean after all that do you do you think all of those experiences in ministry, uh, do you think that hurt your faith or did it just reshape your faith in a different way? I don't know. I'll let Omar answer that question. I, um, I'm not sure. I don't know. I, and the thing is, like, up until our own personal stuff, started happening like I never blamed God for any of it like it was just people being stupid and making bad decisions is how I always saw it and yeah I was angry and had major depression issues when we got back here to Pennsylvania Um, that was compounded by so many things but I like I never I didn't lose faith in God at that point through all of that because to me, it was just people being stupid. Yeah. But Omar? That's a hard question for me to answer. It's a good question. And for me to answer it honestly, it's it's hard because I don't know where I'm at. I personally feel that, I, like, I mean, that's just to answer the faith in God question. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know how to have, I can't go back, I guess, is the whole thing, is I'm ruined um, to have a, like, church experience ever again. Like, um, I think that there's good people in those buildings, but I feel like that there's just, it's a broken and corrupt system, and it just makes broken and corrupt people. Um, and so, I mean, it happened, happened to myself. I I don't know. So like, I still have faith in community, um, because of you guys, um, is the most honest question I could give you. Um, and that's, and that's the reason I paused for so long because it's something that I've been reflecting on, um, recently, (laughs) So that's that's why I just don't. It's hard for me to articulate the words without getting too emotional. I guess because yes, I think God's real. Um, yes, I think He's bigger than like the four walls of the church. Um, and I I feel like I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Um, just having honest, real conversations with people. I think that's the most important thing that we can do. Um, in any of it and so um it is god here is he with us yeah um i don't i but there's i've been on this philosophical journey i guess and that's really been helping me kind of balance things um you know and if, if god's as real and as big as like we've always said he is in christian churches like 
he can handle this journey that I'm on, but I don't know. I don't know where it ends. I don't know where it comes out, but I feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And it's scary because it's not where people have told me I'm supposed to be. You know what I mean? And that, but that's, that's big. And that's, I think, part of my story, you know, being <laughs> damn near 40 years old and really living my own life um, for the last five years of my life. Um, up until that point, all the decisions to go to those deception programs and master's commission stuff seemed like it was good advice from people that I loved and I wanted to, I was living up to somebody else's standards for decades of my life. Even, and it, even more so, you thought you were living up to God's standards. You thought you were like, I have to do this for God. It wasn't, it wasn't even that. It was just always trying to impress. Like I didn't want to disappoint, you know, the people that who believed in me. Like I've always been told, you know, my, my whole life, you know, how special and how, like you have a calling like I died when I was two years old drowned and like and so like for and so I've, I've, I've bought into all that bullshit I bought into like you know like you know, you, that like we've our guests have talked about you know where you, you're you, you hear God's voice you're special you're anointed you're gonna change the world I mean all that I, I think that we all have that in us but you know some people's personalities gravitate towards that more than others. They do. And, and, and you are a natural leader. And I think that's why, I mean, I, 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 I think you'd agree. You, you are a leader. You are, you are the one who actually got this podcast together. You, you, you saw everyone's talents and that's, that's a gift. Um, so yeah, I could see how you would be, um, susceptible to something like that. Um, dude, you guys are awesome. Thanks for coming on your own podcast and talking about these incredible uh, experiences and detailing uh, uh, your love life. And now we know Elizabeth has stinky breath in the morning. <laughs> and she doesn't brush her teeth. Yeah, it's true. It's worse now because I drink coffee. What's that, Heath? This is great. I'm glad I was here for this. <laughs> I love you guys. I loved spending the last weekend with you guys. It was awesome. And that I'm was a lot of fun. More about you. I'm so stoked to be you guys as friends, like for real. Yeah, I love you. That's Appreciate that. Stuff. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you can find Omar and Elizabeth's podcast on iTunes <laughs> at Fade it's to Grey Seth, Podcast. Seth's podcast. <laughs> And they are our co-hosts, of course. And again, you guys, thank you so much for doing this. This was awesome. And I, I, I know our listeners enjoyed this because I feel like you two especially get some of the, the most glaring uh, reviews and comments I see on Facebook and on Marco Polo. Which, by the way, if you're not on our Marco Polo group, get on our Marco Polo group. Do yes. it now. On fire. <laughs> It is on fire. I mean, we've, I think we have like 200 messages left every like hour or hour and a half it's or something. Crazy. It's so crazy. These, these phones are going to blow up, man. And, and these, these people over at Marco Polo are going to have to find a way to keep up with all of our, uh, our videos because it's next level. It's it true. It's been a lot of fun. And some of the, some of the conversations we've got into have just, blow me away like i'm i'm really amazed uh, of what just that that app has done just for relationships and just that face-to-face -face conversation so 
Uh, Marco Polo, pay me for my kind words. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh, that was a great conversation with Omar and Elizabeth. They came on their own podcast. I don't think anyone else can say that uh, besides them. That was kind of amazing. Podcast inception. <laughs> and now it's time for News for Noobs. Mason, hit the damn theme song. I hear you get your news from CNN. All these other fuckers watching Fox News again. Yo, Chris, don't they know that that shit is whack? Hell yeah, Andy, it is a white and black. FG fan, bam, we found another way. There's some noobs, motherfucker, on fake to gray. Holy shit, it is the news for noobs. What's up, everybody? This is Chris. Oh, hello. This is Andy. Welcome back. We heard good things uh, and not so good things about the uh, segment last week, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Uh, a few people said that they thought we might be alt-right, but uh, alt-right. we want to set the record straight. Yeah, alt-right. Can you believe it? As if we were, you know, conservatives or something. Yeah, not a big fan of conservatives. Not a big fan at all. That's why this week I want to talk about the migrant caravan. The Migrant Caravan. I have heard about it. I'm actually like pretty concerned about this. I don't understand why we're shooting tear gas at them. Well, it's because the U.S. government is a bunch of Nazis, and that's that's their prerogative. They, they hate children. They hate any non-white children. And I, I, think it's, I think it's really wrong. I think what they're doing is disgusting. It's terrible. Hold on, guys. What are you talking Whoa. about? Whoa. Who is, Who is that? Hello? Hey, this is Lucas. Lucas. Oh, hello, Lucas. Uh, who are you exactly? Well, uh, I'm a Mexican national. Are you talking about immigration stuff without talking wow. to a Mexican? We oh, actually shit. were. Damn, you're right. Didn't... Chris, did you even check any of your privilege? I didn't check my privilege. Fuck, I forgot. Damn. Okay, Lucas, uh, we, we will have to apologize after the show and take you out to dinner or do something. Uh but Lucas, yeah, we were actually just catching up on the migrant caravan uh, situation. Do you know anything about this? I do. I do. I'm very well informed, um, not only by fake news in the U.S., <laughs> but, but actually actual, you know, like footage of my friends and family in Mexico that are seeing just this caravan moving through Mexico. So, yeah, I'm well informed about Now, when you say fake news, you're talking about Fox, right? Of course. Of course. Of course. That's even fake and Fox to start with the same letter. <laughs> oh, wow. I had never, I never put that together. Oh, man. You're right. Wow. So you said your parents are, are still living in Mexico and they're basically on the, the trail or the path where the migrants are, are taking? The caravan is uh, pretty much going through all these major towns in Mexico to get here. Um, so... Yeah, and everybody knows in Mexico what's going on, and it's very problematic in the society that we live in because as Mexicans, we have problems, you know. It's not like we are, our government is a um, good government. I mean, they don't even take care of their own citizens, so now we have more problems by just letting people in without uh, any proper way of entering a country. Wow, Lucas, that that is crazy. But how are how are they even getting into Mexico? Is there any type of border patrol there, a wall, anything like that? Uh, well, there was a big um, kind of like a barrier between Guatemala and Mexico, but the caravan just got in through force. So they actually even beat Mexican authorities, and they're just in right now, and. 
it's just kind of, you know, it doesn't make sense that uh, this is happening right now. So, no, I was just wondering, are they are they letting them come through? Are they, uh, is the, the Border Patrol encouraging it in a way? And, and some of them are getting assaulted in the process? Or are they actually saying they're enforcing the immigration policy in Mexico? No, they're not. They're just letting them in. And, you know, actually the government of Mexico just, um, you know, they're keeping them right now and actually offering asylum, but they don't want to stay in Mexico. They want to get to the U.S. It'd be kind of weird if uh, Mexico deported anybody. They don't deport people, do they? Oh, yes, they do, sir. They enforce oh, wow. the laws that the U.S. enforces. Wait, but that's racist. It's not racist. It's the law. Wait, but but I thought I thought just borders were racist, and I, I thought that Mexico didn't have a border. Yeah, like when 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 I travel around the world, the first thing they ask is my passport, and I have to if I don't have a passport, I will be sent back. That's true. It's the law. I study Mexico, and I study with a lot of foreigners, and they have to report to immigration laws every three months if they're staying there for for more than a year, and they have no. to keep of everything they do where they live where they work and everything if not they will be deported back to whatever country they're coming from well i actually read about this whole caravan thing that they did deport people recently some of the people that tried to rush into the united states i heard that they deported about 100 of them yeah they did they did i heard the same thing what do you think the issue is in latin america why do people want to come here like what is it about latin america that's not working well first of all i mean it's just corruption our, I mean, I know the government here is corrupt, but in Latin America, corruption is very, very light. You can see it, you can smell it, and you can actually feel it. So, and just lack of um, education, you know, like you have to read and you have to get informed. And as long as we have a big population where people are, are ignorant of whatever their surroundings, I mean, you're going to have tyrants always telling you how to live and, and what to do with your life. And, you know, and I think that's, that's a big problem. So as, as long as we don't get educated in Latin America and to actually know that big government is bad for you, you will never be actually, ha- or you will never have a good society where actually the society will prosper instead of the government. So Lu- Lucas, not a big fan of the big gov. Let's just put it that way. Not a big fan. Not a big fan. I don't believe in big government. So I believe in small government and the government. The only job of a government is to protect their citizens from enemies. Migrants. Inside the country and outside of the country. <laughs> no migrants. We, we are, we, but, and that's the thing. I want, you know, for us that want to come here legally, it's very hard for us to, to come here legally. Uh, and so it's not fair that people want to come here illegally and they get all the goodies instead of going to the proper channel, you know? So I believe that they should, you know, they should make it easier for people that want to come here legally and actually give something good to this country. Well, let's, let's Lucas, let's leave off on one positive note here. What's one thing maybe we could improve on with our immigration policy uh, specifically? What's, what's maybe one thing you would like to see change? I would like to see change. And if you need um, laborers to work in your companies, I think you should bring them here legally and never abuse them. So that will be easy to fix. 
And if, so you get you, rid of, if you get rid of the welfare program here, to be honest, if how is the people are still coming here and get, getting jobs, but people are on welfare programs where they don't work and they take advantage of those programs. So if you get rid of one of those programs, you will actually force people to work. So if you want labor or, you know, from other countries, you should offer that like an opening, you know, system where they can actually come and work for a, a, a certain time and then send them back. And if they need more workers, they should, you know, bring them here legally. And if they don't follow those companies, if they keep hiring illegally people, they should be penalized. And those are big corporations that never always get away with those things. So I think that will easily be solving the problem of immigration. I don't think the world will do it. I think it's going to be more like who's hiring these people and who is behind all of this. So easy, easy to solve. Get rid of the welfare program. And then if you need people to, to work for you, you need to actually hire them legally. And it should be an easy way for them to get a job here. It was a pleasure, Lucas. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, news for noobs. It has been very fun. Yes, sir. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you guys. Gracias, compañeros. Que tengan una excelente noche. Y que Dios los bendiga. Igualmente, cabrón. Adiós. All right, guys. Well, welcome. Welcome again to the movies that molded me. Today, we are going to be talking about Napoleon Dynamite, or better known as Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, Gosh, filmed, get it right, Frank. Are you tired? Want some tots? Um, <laughs> filmed in or released in 2004, um, directed by Jared Hess, um, John Heider's first movie. Uh, let's see. It was definitely... Uh, movie of its own that's for sure we put it in its own category um let's see how old you can probably actually think just saying napoleon dynamite probably brings you back right now to wherever you're sitting whether it was at the movie theater we left very confused or at home or maybe you're a little bit more prepared and and probably like left your ass off with some very very dry humor um but myself in 2004 um was still in doing cult life in uh, Alaska. So I did not go to the movie theater. I don't even know if it was released in Alaska theaters. Hashtag cult life. Hashtag cult life. <laughs> the good, the I wonder what you would find yeah. under that hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Storing up treasures in heaven. So um, you were still in cult life. Yeah, 2004. That was, I was 24 years old, so... Uh, I probably actually saw the movie like a year or two later, if I had to guess. And it was, yeah, like uh, very heavily involved the church I was going to and working with and working for. Um, we had very strict rules on purity culture, this, that, and the other. And in the movies that you watch, like you might want to call it even holiness culture. But somehow or another, um, the clean humor of Napoleon Dynamite made it made it through i mean it might have been a little racy with you know speaking of racy how did they feel about kip and lafonda's uh interracial relationship that that, or even or even the uh boob supplements that uncle rico was selling to the high school students (laughs) 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 i rewatched it earlier today but um but no there was no foul language and stuff for those who are you know if you have young kids actually just finished watching it with my 
uh, all four of my children, the nine-year-old, seven, five, and three-year-old. Have they ever seen it before? Never. Oh, did they like it? (laughs) You know, they did. The older ones obviously um, liked it better, but the dance scenes at the end won over the entire crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me just say it was a rough time for anyone with curly hair. Because you, you couldn't go anywhere, you could not go anywhere without being called Napoleon Dynamite. I had uh, I had glasses, but they did not even somewhat resemble Napoleon Dynamite's. But it was just because I had curly hair that I would get called that all the time at school, at church. I remember one time, <laughs> one time I was at a youth group. And it was probably my senior year, and I had been called Napoleon Dynamite, I don't know, 16,000 times. And I was I was walking out. It was after service, probably July, mid-July. is probably 85 degrees when we walked out. And some, some kid walks up to me, and I, I, I only did this because he was smaller than me. <laughs> and he runs up. He, he says, Hey Napoleon, uh, where's Tina? Or he, he, he said, where he said, where's another character? So my fist went back and I decked him in the foyer at church. <laughs> so Napoleon Dynamite ruined my life, and I'm just gonna go on record to say uh, I will not be voting for Pedro. Was was it the wrong Kwando? Wrong Kwando is what you you know learned self defense with. Yeah, yeah, that was my training. That that was that was my everything. That was my that was my dance training. That was my life training. I learned how to take care of of, of animals with you know him and Tina. I thought Did it was Rex a, teach you self defense. Yeah, and that's Forget how I learned to throw pigskin. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Kip, well, Kip was training to be the cage fighter, you know. So you know, that's right, that you- Chris. How how old were you in two thousand four? And and. and did you go to the theaters to see it, or did you stay at home and rent it from Blockbuster? I was 21 years old, and my friends and I did go to see it in the theaters. I was, at this time, I was a very serious person and did not really get it the first time I saw it. No, I, of course, laughed at a few parts, but just thought it was ridiculous, and uh, I don't know. I, I wasn't really into that kind of humor at the time, I suppose. Uh, it wasn't until I saw it about a year later on DVD or home video. I can't remember what it was and laughed out loud at almost every scene. So I guess I was just in a weird place the first time I saw it, but certainly uh, garnered a huge appreciation for it afterwards. Uh, so much so that I even own it today. So, I mean, I could easily watch it whenever I feel like watching it because it's definitely a movie you can watch over and over and over again. I feel like it's also a movie that's more enjoyable at home or watching with friends for some reason. It's it's definitely it definitely probably did better um, on with DVD sales. I would think in movie tickets. It was so weird that you almost didn't want to laugh in front of people that you didn't know that well if you were watching it with them because it was so it was so weird. Like like oh if I laugh I'm gonna look like I enjoy this really weird awkward scene. But it's like yeah it's a movie. That's what it's supposed to be funny like. Um, and, and to me, even though, you know, Seinfeld is a really popular show to me, that's kind of like what Seinfeld was for me with, you know, I'm only 30, but anytime I was in high school and I was making a Seinfeld reference and I would be like, right, right. And it was almost like that with Napoleon dynamite at first. Like you, you didn't want to make a reference 
uh, around people that you weren't uh, you weren't sure were maybe Napoleon Dynamite fans, but once you heard a reference like "God, Tina, you fat lord," you just you opened up and you're like, "Oh yes, a Napoleon Dynamite fan." But yeah, of course it. Are you drinking two percent because you think you're fat? And looking back now, like of course it's a cult classic, like that of of that of that um you know 2004 that decade 2000 to 2010, that was at least top five top five for sure. Well, it's just so different than anything you've ever seen or expected to see, and like even like down to like like the wardrobe was just spot on with like Napoleon shirts, wearing those big puffy boots, and I mean my my kids, the first thing they say is like. Why are his eyes open? <laughs> and so then we had to explain. We had to explain to him like it's just part of his character. It's just part. It's part of the joke. He just walks around with his eyes like half open all the time. And I, I think I, uh, one thing to remember is is that this movie came out the same year as The Passion of the Christ. So for me, <laughs> wow. you know, it just wasn't really time for a, a jokey movie. I was. It was. It was all about being serious. And I think the church rented out the theater for that. So. Yeah, now that you hate God, you're like, wow, we need Napoleon Dynamite too. <laughs> cool. I oh, mean, guys, well, yeah. that was awesome. I love it. Yeah, appreciate you guys being on, man. It was definitely a movie that molded me. Like, even though it was much later in life, and um, rewatching it with my kids, it was very clean. A few, um, you know, boob references is about about as dirty as it gets. I will say, you know. Um, the scene where the cow gets shot in front of all the kids in the school bus is still is still one of my favorite scenes. And so, if your if your kids haven't seen anything like that before, like, uh, yeah, you might want to warn them. Right. Having said all that, if if you want to watch this with your kids and get back to us and leave us a comment on our Facebook page, um, that would be funny to hear uh, kids' reactions. Uh, you know, in 2018 uh, to Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's either you you get it or you don't. And uh, has Avery seen the movie? No, I'm afraid to show her. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because she's gonna say, "Daddy, that's you." <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Hey, he he's a good looking dude in real life. That that guy is actually not not bad looking. So it's like, hey, all right, but. You know they're not they're not referring to John they're referring to Napoleon and uh, yeah hey uh, I I guess in two thousand four to two two thousand probably eight I definitely had the fro of Mister Dynamite and it looks dynamite I'll just go on the record saying that so dynamite <laughs> well I will say too um, just lastly um, if when you watch the movie or rewatch it for those yeah just listen to this you're like oh I gotta watch that movie again um, don't forget after the credits the one of the best scenes is is like the secret scene at the end um the wedding scene and so for those who have not seen napoleon for oh my god we've i hope we didn't i mean there's this whole thing was spoilers but um but uh now were they were they singing a song at the end yeah the yeah i think chris sings it best I love technology. chris chris close us out with the song i think it's great as much as you see Always and forever. Something like that. I can't Always remember. And <laughs> yeah, Kip was great. Oh, we gotta yeah, we gotta rate it on the grayscale. On the grayscale, it's like a one to five on the grayscale. All right. I'm I'm gonna go with a three point nine. Giving that it's a, giving that it's a, a, a you know 
2004, actually, I'm, I'm actually going to give it an, another 0.6 and, round, and go up to 4.5, 4.5 on the grade scale for, for myself. Wow. Coincidentally, that's more than uh, Siskel and Ebert gave it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, you know, I felt like I was a little harsh in the 3.9, and I couldn't justify where that extra 0.5 or 6 was coming from. So I went ahead and just gave it. I'm going to go on record saying 2.7. Wow. Wow. Ah, Andy's a little tough yeah. on that grayscale. Well, only because it's scarred me emotionally, people. Okay, <laughs> it's it's been hard. I've made it clear it's been a rough ride thanks to this movie. Um, uh, I give it four stars on the grayscale. This movie is hilarious, and everyone should watch it. It's not a five star movie. It's not no. supposed to be a five star movie. It is every bit of a four star movie, and it's great. It's a perfect go-to rainy day movie. Yeah, yeah. Like if it's if it's three p.m. and you're Omar and you had a cocktail, and it's like <laughs> you know what, it's raining outside and I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna watch a movie. I'm putting on Napoleon Dynamite. I love you, Omar. Uh, good stuff. I, I'm so looking forward to to this segment. I, I love it, and I'm I'm so glad that I only gave it uh, two stars. <laughs> it's all right. We forgive you. We forgive you. There always has to be one hater in the group, I guess. You know, to kind of balance the scales a bit. I think it's well, John you know, Hater, right? I do look like John Hater. <laughs> exactly. Good. You beat me to it. <laughs> ah. So thanks for joining us on movies that molded me. That's it for today, guys. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter, and join us on Marco Polo. Next week, Brian and Amira Weller will be talking to us about their experience growing up overseas as the children of missionaries.